Hello and welcome to the Business of Agriculture, a podcast with me, your host, Damian Mason, where we get together every week and we discuss issues impacting the industry of food, fuel, fiber, and farming. That's right. It's the Business of Agriculture, and we do this not only for fun, but for your information, your entertainment, and your education. You know what? I try to always bring interesting topics and interesting guests. I'm really excited because this is the first time I've had a podcast with three guests on at the same time. I'm here at the uh, annual convention of White Commercial Corporation in Kansas City. They bring in their customers, which are grain elements. Elevators. So I have a higher up with White Commercial Corporation. His name's Phil Luce. He's the reason I'm here. I'm going to be talking to their people tomorrow. And I've got Peter Archer, an Ontario, Canada grain elevator operator, and Rob Cogdill, an Iowa grain elevator operator. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. This is Rob Cogdell. Our uh, family business, we uh, own five grain elevators and ag supply businesses in western Iowa. Uh, we buy and sell grain, but we also... Uh, you know, supply farmers with, with inputs and things like that. That's fantastic. Okay, can we go over to Peter Archer? Uh, you know, some of my listeners are Canadians. I do a lot of work up in Canada. I have a nice following up there. You're in Ontario, the most populous of the provinces, also sometimes not thought of as, as agricultural as a few of the prairie provinces. Tell me about your operation. Tell me what's going on in Ontario with you. Yeah, so I come from the uh, farming side of things. Uh, d- uh, grew up on a mixed livestock operation, and and got into the ca- cash crop business later on, um, and then that uh, morphed into a, a grain elevator business. And we now have two elevators there in what I call Ontario's Middle East, which uh, for the Americans is straight across the lake from uh, Rochester, New York, on the north shore of Lake Ontario. Got it. And then Phil Loose with White Commercial Corporation. Uh, just to give a background, we most people listening to this are familiar with grain elevators, though we're going to define that a little better going on. But what is White Commercial Corporation and what do you do? White Commercial Corporation is a commodity futures brokerage company that came into existence in the late 70s, originally called White Southeastern and focused on business in Georgia and the Carolinas. And then as as we discovered that, that the grain business in the Southeast goes in and out, people plant pine trees and cotton and corn and all sorts of different things. We decided it'd be best to expand our horizons, and now we're called White Commercial Corporation. And we do business in 28 states and three provinces in Canada. Uh, the commercial in White Commercial refers to the fact that our customers are exclusively commercial grain dealers. We deal with country elevators and feed mills. We don't deal with farmers or ethanol plants or any of the other uh, grain industry types. Not because we don't like them, but because we know what we're good at, and what we're good at is working with elevators. Got it. That's a very good description. You know what? You're like you're like really good on this. You're like one of the most succinct describers of yourself that I've had on here yet. Okay, so you're driving down the road. Let's say I always point out who my listeners are to the Business of Agriculture podcast. So they're in grain. They're in processing. They're in sales. They sell seed. They're in farm machinery. They're farmers. They're all kinds of things. Most of us know what a grain elevator is. But for those that are maybe in the cranberry business... Describe, if you would, Rob, tell me what one of these five elevators in western Iowa looks like. Tell me what you do. Well, to your average passerby driving up the road, we look like a bunch of big, shiny, galvanized steel tin cans. And what we do is, uh, throughout the year, but especially in the fall, we are the place where farmers can trade their grain in for cash. And our job is to be ready to receive that grain as quickly as possible, uh, store it, handle it, dry it, whatever we got to do, and then we sell it again to when some end user needs it more than us. Yeah, so that's the thing that uh, a lot of folks probably do get, maybe some of them don't get. In the old days, 
every little town had one of these, right? Every little town had a place. And you took your Parker uh, 100 bushel uh, gravity wagon behind the John Deere 4020 and you dragged it in and you dumped your load and you went back to the field and got another load. Uh, the equipment's gotten bigger. Your facilities have gotten bigger. Uh, let's go over to our Canadian friend. What's changed from your perspective from just, say, 40 years ago when I described the Bipus elevator, which is four miles from my farm in Indiana, to today? One of the big changes that we've seen in our area is, is an exodus of livestock operations out of our area and uh, a whole lot more grain that's going for, for different purposes, be that uh, for ethanol or exports to other countries. Uh, we service the export market pretty big out of our area, too, um, both with corn and soybeans. A lot of years ago, a lot of it was fed in our area and walked off the farm, and uh, and that's just not the case now. And so we had to build infrastructure to replace the, those that livestock operations. If you happen to be listening to this and you're like still a to the industry, and you just heard the term walk off the farm. That's an old agricultural adage, which means you raised the crop, you fed it to an animal, and then you got your value added by putting your crop, your grain crop, into an animal and made it into meat, and then it went and got slaughtered, hence that. But as uh, as uh, Peter just told you, we have less small agricultural operations and less little livestock in these places, like for instance, the co-op that's down the road from me that used to be a grain place is no longer in business. It's, the co-op is still in business, but the facility is not. It's probably antiquated. I mean, that's where I went, and we got some feed, mineral, that kind of stuff growing up. Do you do feed? No, we do not. Okay. Rob, do you do feed at your Iowa places? Yeah, we do do feed. And you still have a lot of animal agriculture in your neighborhood. We're very strong in cow-calf in our area. Okay, so what uh, the person listening says, well, wait a minute, so this is where the farmer goes and dumps his grain, and then you just give him a check right then? Well, just real quickly, that's where White Commercial comes in, because this conference that you're attending is all how to make money as an elevator. Uh, in the old days, you had bins, you had storage. A lot of small farmers didn't even have the storage, or they had a little wire corn crib, let's say. So the value proposition you had 30, 40, 70 years ago was you were a facility that could take grain during harvest when there's a glut of it. There's now more on-farm storage than there ever has been. Correct. Tell me how things have changed in that regard. You're not just a place where a, place can, where a farm operation can come and dump their stuff. A lot of farmers don't necessarily need us in the fall anymore. Farmers uh, use us now a lot of times for risk management. We're the place that helps them turn their grain into money. Um, you know, finding a good way to turn that into the price that they need uh, through market services. The other is we might be a logistics supplier. In some ways, we're a labor supplier. So we, we help fill that, that void, whether it be trucking, whether it be a way to turn the grain into market, market access, or whether it is storage or drying. We try to do fill those voids that it's not economical for them to do themselves. Yeah, there's there's some folks that are so big they don't need you for anything on drying or storage or anything, but you still could be their marketing arm or their final destination because we know for a fact it's got to it's got to go somewhere from that farming operation up in up in Canada. Uh, same story. Yeah, it's pretty much uh, the same story. And like I say, I always tell our customers that I'm, we're really the only industry that I can think of that purposely set out to buy high and sell low, that we're always all on our farmers to, to get their risk management in place and get those forward contracts in place on this grain when we tend to see seasonal highs in the spring of the year where we can buy that grain high and then sell it back to the end users when it's low. And, of course, we do that through the use of Phil's services and the, and the futures business to to 
offset those losses on the cash grain with futures hedges. And that's now where we're going. So now our listeners understand what the elevator does, whether it's in Iowa or Canada or anywhere. Now let's talk about what White Commercial does. Phil, what is it that you do that help these people make money? Why are they at your conference? Well, I think um, when you hear the term futures broker, it brings a lot of things to mind. Some of the things you've mentioned as far as what's the price of such and such a commodity going to be in such and such a month and what's happening in Brazil and what about the Ukraine and that sort of thing. But for us, our revenue is futures brokerage because people need futures to, to do basis trading, like Peter said. But our product is two things, really. It's education. It is is giving people the tools to use the futures market to provide service, like Rob said. You, the farmers need service. The end users need service. They're not always well equipped to set it up to, to provide it to each other. And so we teach people how to use the futures market to become price neutral and, and be service entities. But maybe more importantly, the reason why these guys are here and, and a couple hundred of their friends is we get people that are in the business together to talk about how they can be of service. And really, the magic, uh, the, the white in our name is Don White, our founder. And what he figured out a long time ago was if you get people who are like-minded together, and they're like-minded in two ways, they're in the same kind of business, but they're the same kind of people. And they, they're community-minded, they want to they be adding value, they're capitalists, but they're also, they're also people who are interested in being of value to their community. So getting those guys together, the truth is we have not invented very much. Most of it, we, we get these people in a room, we learn from them, we spread it around, and it, it just works. Yeah, so it's an association that it's, it's not an association. It's a, a cooperation between you, the company, the service provider to them, and they're a service provider to their clients, the farmer, sellers of the grain. Uh, how do you make money, Mr. Phil Luce? Well, we're a futures broker, so we make money the same way every futures broker does. These guys need to use the futures market. They do their trades through us. We get paid per trade. Got it. Okay. And then the gentleman sitting over here to my left, that would be obviously the grain elevator operators. Tell me a little bit about your situation, okay, uh, up there in, in Ontario. You've got this uh, you got this farmer that has 1,000, 2,000, whatever the number of acres is, and then you want that person to deal through you. You need their grain because you have to have a certain amount of grain ready to go to put on a rail car. Am I right? Yeah, that's pretty much works. It's it's a volume based business, so we have to trade lots of bushels to to make things work. And uh, we uh, we learned how to with through help from from Phil here that we've learned how to, to to trade those bushels direct ship off the farm, whether they're coming out of the farmers' bins or whether they're delivering them to our facilities. Um, that we see opportunity in all those bushels uh, that we can uh, that we can trade. Rob, do people in Iowa that are farmers? believe that they need you more or less or the same as they did 30, 40 years ago. We know that they don't need you for the storage in the way they once did. Like you said, at Harvest, they're not sitting there saying, oh, goodness, we have nowhere to go with this. Do they need you more or less or the same in their perception? You know, I think that I think a lot of people really believe that the elevator is less relevant, but they come to us more. Uh, I, I think that, you know, Eight years ago, nine years ago, our family was what you call a back-to-back trader, and we really didn't add value to any trade. We were always trying to sell grain the same time the farmer was selling it. And when we met White Commercial, we, we changed to what's called a basis trading elevator. So back-to-back, just so uh, somebody that didn't take Ag Econ 320, or like me, took Ag Econ 320, that's ag marketing trading, and got a C in it. So tell people here what back-to-back marketing is versus basis trading. Well, Damien, if I'm a back-to-back elevator, if you call me up and you sell me a thousand bushels, I'm immediately going to pick up the phone and call around to all the end users in the area and try to sell that thousand bushels back. And if the market's up and moving quickly, you know, 
I'm making that call 40, 50 times a day, and I'm not going to be able to get any premium for that. All I'm ever going to make is the trucking. And I'm not really able to offer the customer on either end of the phone line any value. Whereas with a, a basis trading elevator, you you call me up and sell me your 1,000 bushels of grain. I put it in my hedge book, and I call Phil, and I sell futures to back it up. And I don't worry about selling the physical until the end user truly wants it. And that's where the value comes from. Yeah, you're taking it further out. You're taking it further out uh, on the market. You know, on the days when the futures are down and nobody wants to sell anything, we've got grain because we hedged it. We we we, we hedged it. The, the the futures have protected us, and so we're willing sellers then when the farmer really doesn't want to be there. And when the market's up and the end users, you know, can't possibly swallow all the grain they're getting, we're going to stand in there and we're going to buy what that farmer needs to sell. And we're going to be a confident buyer because we know that you know white commercial and the futures market is there on the other side. Peter Archer up in Ontario. I'm sure it's about the same story. You can tell me if there's any difference. Then I have another question for you. Is it the same story? Yep, pretty much the same story everywhere. Back no to back versus basis dreams. trading. Okay, yep. uh, the reality of the marketplace. I explained, you know, the Bippuses or the uh, the Andrews, Indiana. I can name all the little towns uh, within ten miles of my farm that had a grain elevator that no longer do. And of course, they made feed for all the small little livestock operations. These places have gone away. Is it a matter of economies of scale? Is it because, uh, or is it because the just the, the storage capacity is so little, uh, too competitive environment? What what's happened? What's the reality of the marketplace today? Because elevators still exist. Yeah, I, I guess looking at it, um, consolidation has been the name of the game ac- across a big part of the the agriculture, all of agriculture. Whether you're talking about the seed business, the fertilizer business, or anything, and, and elevators haven't been haven't been any different from that. And I, you know, I think that uh, you know it all comes back to you know looking at our own uh, sort of area. That uh, yeah, those small back to back operations are the ones that gone away because they didn't add value, and uh, we we had to add value. Well, their their value proposition, as Rob talked about, forty years ago was they had a place for you to take your stuff and that's not not as much a a value proposition anymore is that what i'm hearing if the only value you add to the marketplace is having space and handling then the only way you make more money is by operating more efficiently which means that you have to close down sites and have the biggest place possible so you lower your operating costs we've kind of done the opposite we've got five locations that really aren't that far from one another and people say, well, why do you do that? That's not very efficient. Well, our customers are like it. Our customers like it. We make money by adding value through our basis trading. And so we want to have as many locations as we need to to be convenient for our customers. It might be a, you know, a fraction of a cent more expensive per bushel, but uh, you know, it's providing the service that helps us stay in the market. Tomorrow when I talk to your guys, Phil, I'm going to talk about reinvention, and it's a business presentation with some ag tie-ins. I don't pretend to be a green elevator expert because I'm not, but I can talk about business reinvention. And what Rob just discussed right there is really the uh, commodity mindset versus a value-added mindset. The commodity mindset would say, let's have the biggest damn grain terminal we can have, and let's just try to just make it so we, we pay as much, and we just we almost make nothing. We just handle every one of these bushels for about a cent and a half, but we're going to have lots of bushels. And then he's saying, no, we don't need lots of bushels and be the biggest concrete monolith out here in, in Sioux County. We're going to be, instead, we're going to be uh, the place that is convenient for our people to come to, but more importantly, we make them money. Is that where the future goes? One way or another, I think Rob said it many times already, and I agree with him 100%, the future is the marketplace that we deal in is efficient enough, transparent enough, and accessible enough 
that it won't allow a middleman who's not providing value. And so I think providing value probably can mean different things in different places. Different regions have different needs. You know, there are some places I think that require gigantic facilities. There are some places that require multiple smaller facilities. Ultimately, the reason I love working in this business so much is because there are lots of ways to do the right thing. And these people that I get to work with, they're capitalists and they want to make money and they're very good at it. But to a, to a person, they're also intensely interested in being of value to their community. And, and not just in name, it's not a marketing thing. It's literally bringing money into the community that would otherwise leave it by virtue of being a marketing point for farmers, by virtue of being able to sell to feeders without regard to price, by providing service to both entities. So I think, uh, big picture, I, I don't think I'd pick a side. I think there are lots of ways to do the right thing. The key is, if you're not adding value, you don't get to survive very long. You you consolidate, you merge, you close down. So there's uh, been talk for the last year and a half about, you talked about consolidation. That's my friend Peter Archer from Ontario that talked about consolidation. The ABCD, uh, Archer Daniels Midland, Bungie, Cargill, and Louis-Dreyfus, the ABCD of grain uh, processing, if you will, right, globally. Uh, there was talk about two of those were going to pair up. So we're going to have the big three, which, of course, we see the big three in farm machinery, see the big three probably, in my opinion, coming in chemistry. We're down to four. <laughs> uh, we see the big three happening in airlines. I travel all the time. You get the big three plus South. Southwest, uh, five airlines have, have merged just since I started becoming a frequent business traveler 20 years ago. So, with that being in mind, we've seen the consolidation at the grain elevator level. But isn't there still uh, the one problem with there is that you need the facilities somewhat close. These, these guys can put it on their trucks and take it a certain distance, but at some point, there's so much quantity. How much, how much distance can we have between the facilities like you operate? So the uh, you can use kilometers or miles there, Mister Archer. I really <laughs> yeah, like you're Canadian. I, I'm bilingual from Canada, so I, I smog both. But uh, you know, the, the harvest has to be efficient. We have to get this stuff off the field, and uh, so you know, it tends to to grain does not tend to move large amounts of distance at harvest time. Uh, you know, for 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 efficiency reasons, right? So that's why Rob looks at it and, and says, you know, that it, it's it's better for them to to take those services to where the grain is rather than try to make the grain move to to a central location um, and that makes sense and that's why we've done what we've done by adding a satellite location as well all right let me throw another one and we'll have the gentleman from iowa a answer this question if we're seeing the tie-ups happening and the consolidation at the mass level you know globally the adms and the bungies and the cargills and the louis dreyfuses and then we're seeing it on equipment and we're seeing it on these other things do we see a point where uh one of those entities or a couple of those entities just start buying up you and then they have a whole bunch of small elevators strung around the countryside you know i guess that'd be a little bit like anheuser-busch buying a microbrew I mean, which they've done. They've done. They have gotten a little bit. They've dipped their toe into craft brewing. Now, they haven't bought the two guys down the street that just have a restaurant and 10 keg kettles, uh, but they have gotten into micro brew. So, uh, does it happen? I, I suppose it could. There are some joint ventures out there between the big names and some of the small folks. But in general, they're not geared for that. You know, we're geared for that sort of thing. Yeah, it's the old thing of the stay in their lane to a certain amount because uh, there's a reason why Tyson has other people grow pigs for them and, and they're the processor. There's a reason why some of these uh, these economies or these even systems work out. Phil, you've got something to say. Phil? Yeah, it, it, it may change culturally someday, but the fact is those giant companies, they do try that from time to time. ADM's famous for it. They'll buy 
company they'll buy country locations and they'll run them for a little while then they'll sell them or shut them down because that's not what they do the country elevator is a service business right i mean we said it over and over again you you have a fast dump pit you have a fast leg you have big bins you have your own trucks to go pick stuff up but it's a service business and those guys they're not bad companies but they're not service companies they're bulk grain handlers and processors and transporters and it's two different things since you're a dear listener, uh, and I know that these these listeners, they tune in because we try to keep it interesting, and we also throw a little bit of fun. I mean, these guys are even laughing, and, and of course, they've all had a couple of drinks because they got done with their meeting today. Dear listener, you should know that I actually am still working, uh, and the Canadian, of course, is dry already because you know he came all the way from Canada, so he's, he's ready for another beer. Here's what I would like to point out, though. When I think about going to the Huntington Farm Bureau Co-op that I went to as a little boy where we got our feed, and they also did take in grain. It was in the city of Huntington. They had a pop machine, the old-fashioned kind with the bottles that were ver- uh, horizontal, and it was 20 cents, you get you a Chocola. I hope if I ever come and see one of your facilities, I can get me a Chocola. I just, I mean, it's something that's really important to me if I come to one of your facilities. <laughs> All right. Uh, Mr. Mr. Archer had something to say on that last point by Phil. Uh, yeah, I guess I, I was just going to add to that, that, you know, I think that it's one of the things us being smaller operations versus the big ones, I always kind of look at that in one of our competitions is a is a multinational. And I kind of look at it when we're dumping trucks, you know, 10 or 11 o'clock at night or on a, on a long weekend or something like that. And I'm there by myself running the dump pit and, and the scale and the whole works. And my competition's got three guys on time and a half or double time that are doing that. I kind of look at that and think, Geez, I'm glad I'm not competing against an idiot like me, you know. So Yeah, you're do you're you're doing the work for a little less money. Rob. I just wanted to say if you come to uh our Panama location, if you push the bottom button on the pop machine, you'll get a can, but it ain't pop. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> Schedule that for my last call. Panama, Iowa. Write it down if you need a cold beer at quitting time. Hey, uh, speaking of competition, if you want to call it competition, because obviously the grain goes somewhere, and the person that's out here producing the grain has got to fa- make their money. I mean, that's what they do. They grow a crop, and they got they got skinny margins right now with the reality of the current commodity uh, pricing situation. Let's talk about ethanol. Within 10 miles of uh, 20 miles of my farm, there are two ethanol plants. Is ethanol a competitor to you? Is ethanol somebody that you end up brokering uh, loads to? Tell me how ethanol works in your part of the world in Iowa. Well, really, they're they're a partner. I mean, uh, sure, they disrupted the market when they came in, but actually, uh, our senior partner, my uncle Sam, helped start multiple ethanol plants. Are you doing this as a patriotic thing since you're sitting next to a Canadian? My Uncle Sam? Are you, t- you have an actual uncle blood uh, relative who's named Samuel? Are you trying to pull the no. get-out-of-my-country Canadian? <laughs> I actually have an Uncle Sam. Uh, he uh, He's actually really one of a kind, but he uh, he really did start multiple ethanol plants. And the thing of it is, is sure, we lost a, a few bushels of handle when they came. We did. But what we got back was we got basis volatility, which meant that there was really a constant bid for the product, and and they need it. So in in the end, we we need more users to add value as close to home as possible. It's better for the farmer. It's better for us. Yeah, actually, that's what I guess my perception would be, that having two new buyers within 20, 25 miles of my farm, uh, I don't know that anybody's complaining about it, but also I'm not a grain elevator operator, and I could see where you say, hey, wait a minute. Like you said, uh, we're missing out on some handle uh, right there. If we didn't adapt, it would have been a bad thing for us, but we adapted 
Okay, Mr. Archer, ethanol, does it happen up there in eastern, Middle East, Ontario? Yeah, I think, uh, I, I agree with Rob. I think that uh, they're a partner for us, and we trade a, a tremendous amount of bushels into those plants, uh, uh, both our, out of our facilities and direct ship bushels. And, uh, you know, looking more looking more at the Ohio market, I think it's been an, an interesting market to look at, and where we had ethanol plants there that just looked at, at those bushels, and it was kind of, almost seemed to be an all bushels at any price sort of uh, um scenario in Ohio and that seems to have that attitude seems to have changed over time where I think that now they've look at it and say hey if we're getting lots of grain because the futures are up we should back these basis levels off and uh, anyways and that's what basis traders like us want to see um, that sort of scenario and see that basis volatility we've been going on for 24 minutes now and just to make sure that uh, some of our listeners that are really not uh, way way savvy on grain trading uh, you better tell them what a basis is because you know for instance if I buy a stock there's a uh, and then it goes up over the next 10 years, then I've got a basis, meaning what I paid for that stock versus what I'm going to sell it for after it's appreciated. And grain trading, basis means something completely different. Phil? Yeah, basis is defined as the cash value of a commodity in a given location compared to a futures value for that commodity. And so it, it can be nearby or deferred. It can be any time frame at all. But if just to put numbers on it, if the price of soybeans in Peter's neighborhood is $9 a bushel. Of course, it's Canadian, so it's more like $12 a bushel, but let's call it 9 And the futures are $10. The basis is a dollar under. And what, what our customers do, and not just them, people in the elevator business on the whole are basis traders now. 20 years ago, maybe not so much, but it's hard to find a back-to-back trader anymore. But th- they're trading that differential. You know, they're, they're trying to buy a dollar under and sell 50 under, ir- irrespective of what the price has done in the meantime. And if a listener out here that doesn't have an agricultural economics degree from a fine university like myself, uh, you use two other words just to make sure that they, they a uh, person that's not really comfortable, you use the words nearby and deferred. Please define. Sure. Nearby, also called the spot market or the cash market, is just grain that will be delivered right away as soon as possible, and deferred means just some later delivery period. The future. Start with our friend from Iowa. You obviously are, uh, I don't say bullish, but you've got five facilities. You feel good about it. You've already talked a lot about adapting. You've talked about reinventing, which is we're going to cover some more tomorrow. Uh, You're doing it. You know, ethanol was your first curveball coming in, what, 20 years ago, late 90s, early 2000s? Yeah, that'd be about right. And so you've made that adjustment, and now you see that as uh, just another part of the marketplace. What's the next adjustment you're going to have to make moves because of? Well, I don't think that the farm consolidation genie is ever going back in the bottle. And so instead of having several hundred mid-sized customers, you know, by the time I hope to pass our business on to my, my children, you know, we might be dealing with several dozen really large farmers. And what they need from us is probably going to be a little bit different than what's needed from us today. And I have to try to be prepared for that. Uh, to answer what that need is. That's actually very valid. Uh, I make the point there's probably going to be half the number of farmers in 10 years, and I'm talking about farmers of consequence. There'll still be somebody on paper that, you know, uh, that makes $3,000 a year or loses $3,000 a year with, uh, you know, their backyard chickens. But farmers of consequence would probably, just because of autonomous equipment, because of uh, economies of scale, because of a whole lot of reasons, and because of aging, et cetera, et cetera, the capital requirements are going to get great and big. Do you see the grain elevators in any way stepping in because of the capital issue? Because all of a sudden, sudden, uh, the operation that has 10,000 acres, they've got money going a lot of which ways. Do you guys do you guys involve yourself in that? I think we're more likely to have a role in helping with, with labor. 
uh, and, and maybe provision of uh, equipment capital at different times. We might have a role in the harvest process. We'll definitely have a role in the logistics. And I think that, you know, where they run out of labor at certain times, we need to be good at having, keeping, retaining labor who can help them and us. That's actually something I'm glad you brought up, because I think the capital will be served. There's so much capital sitting out there that wants to get in the hands of agriculture and less people, uh, less operators. I don't think the capital is going to be the thing, other than you helping them re- uh, maintain <coughs> margins. It's going <laughs> to excuse me. It's going to be more so probably on the front of labor and time, because it, there's a crunch at certain times of the year. Up in Canada, Peter, what do we see? Well, I still think uh, that uh, that we can still add value to two larger farmers. I do agree that that consolidation is not just happening on the on the input and supply; that it's, it's happening within the farmers themselves, and I and that is going to con- continue to happen. Uh, I think where where we can still add that value for them is the hedging service. Yeah, sure, farmers can go get their own accounts and, and trade their own futures. That is a possibility for them. But there's there's some big psychological issues with that, why farmers don't do that today. There's lots of large farmers out there to do that today, and yeah, some of them do it, but some of them don't do it because of the margin requirements that, that are there um, to, to hold those positions. answer to this, is, I'm 49 years old. I've been seeing this. There's less farmers. Uh, there's less grain elevators, but there's still more product. There's, uh, there's, there's plenty of uh, food out here. It's not because there was a conspiracy. It's a simple march toward the future that's been happening since since the 1800s, since the Industrial Revolution. Phil, from your perspective and White Commercial Corporation's perspective, what do you see? Well, um, short term, I agree with you 100%. We're in a our capacity to produce is incredible. And, uh, you know, I went back and did some statistics for this meeting between 2006 and now, and I chose 2006 because that to me was really when ethanol hit the scene and, and things changed. Between 2006 and now, uh, the U.S. and Canada grow. Um, 36% more corn, soybeans, and wheat than 2018 production versus 2006. Corn, uh, corn uh, storage space, rather, in that time has only gone up 23%. So well, make sure I get this straight now. In 12 years, the North America, and we're talking U.S.-Canada, is producing a third more, 36% more product on the two crops being corn and wheat. Corn, soybeans, and wheat. Corn, soybeans, and wheat, three biggies. And then you were giving me the next part about storage. Yeah. Grain storage capacity in that same time has gone up 23%. And, and uh, to break it down further, that's on and off-farm. On-farm storage increased by, by 17% in that time frame. Off-farm has increased by 30 So commercial storage is growing at a faster rate than on-farm storage right now. I think that's continuing for the, for, for the short to midterm future. And I, I don't know exactly what if that's 20 years or 30 years. Long-term, what looks like it's going to be a challenge to me is, you know, the birth rate's going down worldwide, and we're going to have a whole bunch more food than we need, maybe in my lifetime. I think that's an interesting challenge. That's a big topic that I get into, and a lot of ag people don't like to hear that, so we'll have to save that for the next time I bring you on, because I point out, you you fell in love with this whole slogan, feed the nine, feed the nine, we're going to have nine billion people, and I've predicted it will not happen, because the more affluent a culture becomes, the less babies they make. So we, we need to reverse our thinking. It ain't about how much we can produce, it needs to be about how valuable. I predict some of these acres are going to have quinoa and kale on them uh, instead of corn and soybeans. Closing thoughts from my Canadian friend Peter Archer. Give me some closing thoughts. One thing you want to leave our listeners with about the business or something you know or something you believe about agriculture, something you've learned. 
Well, uh, I think we should keep these tariffs in place that the U.S. has got going on. That's been tremendously good for the Canadian basis traders. Uh, we've seen some great opportunities to sell soybean basis because of these tariffs, and uh, reasserting that would be great on my part. Great. Brought up another topic that's another podcast. Mr. Rob Cogdale from Iowa, what's your closing thought, business lesson, idea, whatever you want to close out with? I'm just going to disagree with Pete. <laughs> I, uh, I look forward to a resolution of all this. But, you know, really, reinvention, adaptation, and trying to stay ahead of the curve, doesn't matter if you're a farmer, the elevator, or the broker. We all have to think about what the people we do business with, uh, what we can deliver most to them. I that's that's well that's what we're gonna be talking about tomorrow and I appreciate you segueing that for me in my presentation tomorrow. Phil, you got a closing thought and by the way, if anybody wants to consult the services, maybe there's a grain elevator out there that needs to get a hold of you, how do they do so? Well you can reach me at Phil P H I L at Whitecommercial dot com. I'm at Phil WCC on Twitter, or you can call eight hundred three two seven seven thousand. Closing thoughts wise, uh, if you find yourself in Canada, go visit the Archers. And also, though, they sell dill, dill pickle flavored Doritos only in Canada, as far as I know. And they're the most incredible food product in the whole universe. If you could pair that up with a bottle of Chaw Cola, by golly, we'd be set, wouldn't we? <laughs> All right. And then if anybody wants to reach you, Peter Archer keeps up with me on Twitter. What's your Twitter Amazing handle? Amazing Pete on Twitter. Say it again in the microphone. Amazing Pete on Twitter. M A I Z E, as in the crop that the Indians called it, Maze Ing Pete. At, at on Twitter. Okay, there you go. At at, at amazing beat. And then uh, Rob, if anybody needs to get a hold of you and they're in Western Iowa and they need a place to to pick your brain, what do they need to do? Well, someday I'll get on Twitter just like Pete. He's talking me into it. But you can go to www.cogdellfarmsupply.com and you can get my phone number on there. Just give me a call. Thanks a lot for joining me. That's Phil uh, Phil Luce with uh, White Commercial Corporation, a client of mine and a, and a heck of a guy. He's also a jiu-jitsu fighter in his, me- in his, in his free time. I don't understand why. Apparently, uh, things get pretty violent sometimes during the offseason. I don't know. And they got Peter Archer, our Canadian friend who wants to keep tariffs in place. We'll try and talk to him about that, and we'll tell him that uh, he doesn't get another beer if he says things like that. And Rob Cogdell from Iowa. I'm Damian Mason. This was the Business of Agriculture. Thanks for tuning in. Do it again next week. Till then.